This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Welcome to Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame. I'm your host, Leonard DiLorenzo. What is the meaning of time? I don't mean that as an abstract philosophical question, but rather as an utterly practical one. How we measure time tells us a great deal of what we think life is all about on the grand scale and every day. Our guest today has developed a resource for helping us to reclaim time as sacred, that is to say, as liturgical. Brandon McGinley writes about faith, culture, and politics from his hometown in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He works as editor of EWTN Publishing Incorporated, a book publishing collaboration between the Global Catholic Media Network and Sophia Institute Press. He has developed a weekly newsletter called These Seven Days. And today, he'll share with us some of the insights from this newsletter and what it offers to us in living the Catholic faith. Brandon McGinley, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So, Brandon, in early of 2019, you launched this weekly newsletter you call These Seven Days. Tell us a little bit about the newsletter and how you were inspired to create it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been thinking about doing some kind of a weekly newsletter for some time, but didn't want to just repeat what was, you know, uh, Out there what, otherwise. what other folks are doing. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And so the, the thought that came to mind was what would be something that that I would find valuable on a weekly basis. And uh, I thought about that for a while and didn't really come to any conclusions. And then kind of one of those moments when, when a, a kind of everything seems, becomes clear, the, uh, I realized that you know, what's the thing, what, what's something that frustrates me about trying to kind of grow in, in living the faith on a you know, weekly basis, truly weekly basis, mm-hmm. is trying to keep up with the liturgical calendar, yeah. showing up to Mass and, and hearing the readings while you're trying to wrangle the children <laughs> and maybe not even hearing the readings at all. Yes, um, yes. And then during the week, you'll, you know, you'll realize the day before that it's some interesting feast day that you could do something to commemorate, whether it's have a special dinner with, with family or there's some kind of uh, novena and you find out two days before instead of nine days before, right. things like that. And so the, the idea then was I could create the, the kind of thing that I would find valuable and that Presumably, if it's something I would find valuable, other people might find it valuable, too. And so the idea was just to give people a weekly digest of the upcoming week in liturgy, from things like mass readings in both forms of the Latin Rite, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then the, the notable feast for the upcoming week, sometimes also trying to, to kind of to plumb the tradition for, for some things that, that may be a little bit more obscure, things like you know, ember days, rogation days, things that aren't that aren't really in force, at least in the, uh, the in the kind of the ordinary form 1969 calendar, mm-hmm. um, but that people might commemorate in some way or at least know something about. I think the the idea of kind of rediscovering our patrimony is is, is very um is, is is a big one these days. Yeah, that notion of rediscovering perhaps what we've lost, it seems like the awareness of some of these things that you've just mentioned, like Ember Days and Rogation Days, they're just not on the minds of what you'd say, what, your everyday Catholic. We're not right. sort of tuned into this rhythm. So why do you see that as important to try to rekindle this awareness and this kind of movement within the liturgical cycle? I think you used a, a word there that really hits it, which is rhythm, that the, the liturgical calendar gives a rhythm 
into the week, into the year, that is distinct from the kind of the, the civil, secular rhythm to the year. Yeah. For those uh, either in school or with kids in school, you know, the academic calendar begins a rhythm to the year. And there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. You know, there's, there's the five days of, of, the, of the week and the two-day weekend that gives a rhythm to the week. Mm-hmm. But in liturgical life, there is a, there is a different rhythm. There's the rhythm of Friday, Friday to, to, set to Sunday as a kind of little, little um, triduum every, every week. There's the, uh, there's the rhythm of like the ember days that, that mark each season with prayer and fasting. And so these can both work in coordination with the, uh, the other, uh, you know, whether it's kind of the secular, even the geological rhythm of the year, there's the, the seasonal rhythm right there, but that they kind of take it and sacralize it to remind us that all of these things, all of these things are ultimately part of creation. All of these things are ultimately part of the drama of salvation. And so bringing that into everyday life, making that apparent in everyday life, instead mm-hmm. of just something that you remember, say, at the Triduum every year, or something that you maybe remember at Advent, I think that's something that people really find valuable. It allows them to, to bring the sacred, to bring the, the kind of deeper reality of the, the supernatural world that is all around us, the reality of grace, and uh, bring that into everyday life. Yeah, that time itself becomes marked by the sacred and therefore time becomes sacred rather than just always more of the same. Um, I don't know if you've, you feel this way, but I'm, I'm like regularly surprised about the kind of things we as a society, especially in the United States, have dedicated entire days to in yeah. recent decades, right? So I actually did a little research on this to see what some of these days were. I just picked like liturgical feasts that I knew and then looked up the other way in which we could celebrate that day. <laughs> so here, here I'm right, going to give right. you a little list. So February 2nd, which liturgically is candle knots, is mm-hmm. National Tater Tot Day. So you have options there. <laughs> June 24th, uh-huh. which we just, uh, which is the Nativity of John right. the Baptist, is World uh-huh. UFO Day. So they're coming for you. Uh, August 15th, the Solemnity of the Assumption. That's National Lemon uh-huh. Meringue Pie Day. I think we should combine those. I think that, that makes a really yeah. fantastic feast, right? Yeah. Yeah, November yeah, no, 1st, that. Solemnity of All Saints is actually the Solemnity of All Teeth because it's National Brush Your Teeth Day. So, I mean, what's going on here? Are we just bored with time? Are we trying to find ways to be unbored by time? What do you think we're looking for in all this stuff? Well, I love the idea. I love the idea of, of combining a feast with Lemon Meringue Pie Day. That's exactly the kind of thing we would do in the past. Yeah, like, I'm a Catholic say, genius. Oh, well, that's what's going on. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. Well, that's what we'd always do. That people, people will say, well, you know, didn't you know that in December 25th was actually, you know, Saturnalia or whatever it was, you know, right. whatever the pagan feast or whatever. It's like, yeah, and we took it <laughs> and we made it our own. So we could, if we can do that to pagan feast, surely we can do it to Lemon Rang Pie Day. That's and, right. And make that part of the celebration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, yeah, I do think that, I think that besides, besides the obvious kind of marketing impact of these kind of, of these kind of days and you, know, you get a, a Twitter hashtag or whatever, mm-hmm. there's a sense that there is something unnatural about, about every day being the same. There's something unnatural about everything but one day just flowing into the next without any sort of uh, distinction, without any sort of seasonal or, or you know, quasi-liturgical distinction. And so we end up, what we end up doing always, whenever we, whenever we abandon kind of the Church's understanding of these things, when we abandon the Church's understanding of liturgy and liturgical calendar, we end up just creating a new one of our own, whether it's, you know, whether it's Pancake Day or, or, whether, it's, or whether it's the... Uh, the weekly cycle of of uh, now Thursday, uh, Sunday, and Monday football games from September 
through January. Right. That is itself deeply liturgical. You know when, when games are going to be. Mm. You know what each game is going to look like in, it, in its kind of pomp and circumstance. It's got its own theme um, song. Its own, exactly. Yeah, its, exactly. Own, its own sort of ritual, indeed. Uh-huh. Yep, yeah. yep. And so, uh, yeah, and so, you know, reality, even secular reality, will always be liturgical. The question is, which liturgies are we going to focus on? Mm. I love that question there. Which liturgies are we going to focus on? You're listening to Church Life Today and Redeemer Radio. We're talking with Brandon McGinley, editor of EWTN Publishing and creator of the These Seven Days Weekly Liturgical Newsletter. Let's go to that question you just brought up at the end. Which liturgies are we going to observe or participate in? I don't know. There's There's been you know a lot of work and writing on secular liturgies and different ways in which in our communal and even individual lives, we participate in these ways of being and rites. What are some of the more popular secular liturgies? What are those doing to us as people? What is it making of us or asking us to become? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, I always think, and, and you know, I may I, I enjoy fantasy football. I, I enjoy the NFL season. But uh-huh. I, I, I always think about that because, because it, it, it's a Sunday thing, mostly. And now they've added other days, which add a rhythm to the week, you yeah. know, after. There's a reason we have the phrase Monday morning quarterback. You know, Monday is the day of, is the day of rehashing what happened the day before and so on. Uh-huh. And I think, what does, it, what does it do? I think it, um, I think it desensitizes us to the genuinely sacred reality mm-hmm. of the calendar, of, of the weekly, of the, the you know, there's, a reason we, there's a reason we have, there's a reason we have a seven day week. It's not, it's not made up. It has to do with Genesis. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's why I call the newsletter these seven days to, to, to reflect the fact that each, each seven days has its own drama, has its own narrative. And I don't think it's not, it's not that a whole bunch of men got into a room and decided we're going to create a secular alternative in order to undermine the true liter- the true the true liturgical <laughs> drama, but yeah, so it's not, it's not some smoke filled room where this happens. But again, it's not. A, I don't think it's also it's also not a mistake. These things build up on or are kind of parasitic on the actual seven day reality, the actual seven day cycle of creation and, uh, and of human life. And so, in as much as a mimic or ape the true kind of the the true sacred uh, seven day cycle. They then desensitize us to it by replacing it, and so we still live liturgically, and we don't feel that lack quite as acutely as we would if there were no distinctions. As the you know, as the the French tried to do after the French Revolution, creating these, these ten day you know like metric style cycles, and uh, which just didn't last. Right, it just couldn't. It was just it was it was it was deeply unnatural. Um, but so so what we've done instead is is uh, is replace it with something that that reminds us of. Of, of what can be and should be, and that gives us a kind of weak version of it that w- with which we become satisfied. Yeah, and there seems something else there too, which is that, you know, rather than the liturgy is something put over us to change us from what we naturally are, in fact, perhaps we're already from our creation ordered to becoming liturgical beings, that if, yeah. if we see in, say, secular realms that what keeps happening is the recreation of liturgical uh, seasons and feasts and ways of marking time. It's corresponding to something that we're looking for already that we know is in some ways responding to who we are. We want to mark time. We want to be ordered and measured in this way. And we want to be oriented to something. So how how do you think like simply being aware of the liturgical calendar, which which strikes me as one of the great gifts of your newsletter. It's actually the first thing it does is it brings awareness to what's coming and what's happening in the church's life. What do you think simply being aware of the liturgical calendar 
what that does to how a person thinks about time or themselves. Yeah, I, I think that I think it just it brings it it brings that reality that has been swept under the rug, or that that supernatural reality that that we only accept in rare moments, can't physically see, we can't physically sense, but it's brought to us in a tangible way, in a way that can be touched, and and, and on days with you know where where there's great kind of cultural cultural feast smelled and tasted uh, in the bonfires of, of, of the nativity of John the Baptist, you know, things like that, um, that, uh, that then bring, bring the reality that is a spiritual reality and make it a physical and sensible reality. And so just being aware of that gives us the, the opportunity to, to embrace that. It gives us the opportunity to both to, in our own lives and in our own families, to try to bring that kind of sensible reality of the of the liturgical calendar of the of the rhythm and the the narrative the drama the drama of it uh, into our lives. But I, I would also hope that you know whether it's whether it's through this newsletter or through you know just through other means that folks could could perhaps uh, you know approach approach their pastors approach their their parishes about about trying to mark these things with a bit more consistency so that so so that um, that that rhythm can also then be brought back into into the communal life of the church and not just and not just picked up by a few people here and there. And when it's in the communal life of the church it becomes visible you actually do things, right? This is a recovery of old traditions, uh, the revival of traditions, processions mm-hmm. and actual ways in which you mark community life. So what would you envision in terms of you know the future of the American parish. What it might look like if it if it recovered some of these traditions that we have perhaps let fall by the wayside. So I would just love if there were more opportunities for communal prayer, communal celebration outside of outside just of mass. Of mm-hmm. course, mass is the high point of the week and the high point of the day in the case of daily mass. So nothing can replace that. But I imagine the public celebration of Vespers, perhaps perhaps on Sunday, perhaps as part of a full day of of, of Sunday liturgy. You can imagine you can imagine a parish hosting a uh, a, a feast, genu- like a genuine actual food feast mm-hmm. um, that commemorates the, not that both commemorates a particular saint and commemorates the cultural the cultural traditions of of. Uh, of uh, the you know of of whatever whatever you know kind of culture celebrates that lemon that, meringue uh, pie day feast especially yeah, exactly that's what, exactly yeah yeah I'm yeah, all for, I'm for, all for about this I'm just saint. gonna keep pushing Ameri- it yeah it has to be for an American thing so like Elizabeth <laughs> Ann Seton someone like that exactly yeah yeah and yeah and so on so I I think um, you know having just you know whether whether it's whether it's there's whether it's you know weekly or even just once a month there's something there's something going on at the parish. That resacralizes, that makes the, the the times of day and the times of the week and the times of the month that are not already obviously set aside in the form of mass that remind us that all of this is sacred time, and it can be made so uh, in a very particular way again. Yeah, that makes me think that you know the way in which you're talking about these sort of public rituals, devotions, these these other ways of community belonging, they're like midway points of devotion that 
Yeah. You know, and it it might seem at first like that's just for like the way convicted, like those who are way, way in to the Catholic life, like they're going to do these these extraordinary things. But maybe another way of thinking about it is it's really public ritual for those who are barely curious, perhaps like you could just come along and do this thing and you don't have to go all the way into the mass the first time. Like it's something that orders you towards that. Does that sound about right? I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. I think that the folks who are, you know, like reading several thousand word articles in the history of the Ember Days, that may, <laughs> that's a starting point, you know, like that, that's a starting point. And, and of course, there's a, there's a great, there's a, you know, an incredible intellectual tradition in the church. And you have tons of people who, as we say, kind of read themselves into the church. They'll, they'll, they'll pick up the Summa or they'll pick up some, you know, they'll even pick up Aristotle, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so there is this, there's this deep intellectual tradition in the church. But that's, only part of of what a church of what the church has been and what any church can be uh, it has to be more than that the, the, the cannot just be the church of, of the intellectual it has to be the church of the church of everybody and it has been in the past and so what was the great benefits of all these feasts you know if you go back to the middle ages or whatever these were things for everybody ways for everybody to participate in the life of the church whether or not they had great learning whether or not they were even interested in having great learning and certainly when it came to it comes to the economic and social life of the community these were breaks genuine breaks for celebration to, to, to stop toiling in the fields to realize that the the, the most important rhythm the most important narrative or of uh, of, of time is not the economic that's important. We don't want to forget about that, but that's not the most important thing. And so much, so much about the way we live now is about prioritizing the economic, prioritizing efficiency. Well, I have to be at my computer on on Sunday because uh, I might get in, I might get an email. I have to be checking, you know, checking my work email. I have to do X, Y, and Z on on Sunday or or you know or in whatever you know on on some you know holy day holy day of obligation or important solemnity that in the past would have been a break would have been a time to say okay there are, are important things to be done but this is more important and so i think that you rediscovering the liturgical calendar both is both a way to re kind of integrate the uh, the life of the church into everyday life not just not just for those like you said who may be already deeply inclined to such things but exactly for those who aren't yeah. There's something to bring them in, something that, that reminds them that the Church you know, has their best interests at heart in terms of salvation, but also in terms of the temporal reality of the drudgery of life, and that we're there to give you a break, we're there to, give, to, to celebrate these spiritual realities with with a true feast, with an actual celebration. You're listening to Church Life Today and Redeemer Radio. We're talking with Brandon McGinley, editor of EWTN Publishing and creator of the weekly liturgical newsletter, These Seven Days. I mean, it seems to me like you're you're calling for the recovery of a little poetry to life, that it's not just yeah. the monotony and the grind of more of the same all the time. Because we know that the more time we give to the work week, the more time the work week will take till every day becomes yeah. the same. And even within a day, that the night is just, you know, it's open to the glowing of screens just as much as the waking hours are. So we even yeah. lose like the little liturgy of the day. I was reading, um, well, I'm going to say this so I sound like incredibly cultured, but the, the you know, French Catholic poet Charles Pigui and his poetry uh-huh. on the Holy Innocence. And he was describing in this beautiful verse the this daily ritual of doing a, a small examination of conscience before you go to sleep, but he was giving it to his readers in the imagery of going into a church and dipping your hand into a baptismal font and 
and uh-huh. having the holy waters. It's like a cleansing at the end of the day where you mark yourself yet again into the life of the triune God. And if we yeah. could sort of reawaken not just the adult Catholic imagination, but even order like the young, the child's Catholic imagination to that kind oh, of yeah. daily rhythm. Mm-hmm. Like how does that form people for life? You know, like yeah. each day becomes a little liturgical exercise. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head when you talk about kids. I, I think forming them in this, and it's not, it's something, yeah, you can form them if by, form them in by, by having deep conversations about, but it's mostly you form them, you form them in it simply by living it. Yeah. And then for them, as they're growing up, their very reality will be formed by that rhythm, by the, by the rhythm of the, the weekly triduum, by the rhythm of, of the, um, of, of like I said, even within the day, the the morning prayer, the Angelus, you know, the examination, or you know, if you, if you really want to go all out, you know, introducing this is something. This is a dream of mine that <laughs> we'll never quite get to. But introduce the introducing the liturgy of the hours into the home, making the home into in whatever way it is practical, depending on your state in life. Something like a little monastery. Mm. Now, I have four kids under six, and so the idea of <laughs> monastic quiet is really... <laughs> the idea of monastic cells, cool though, sounds right fantastic. Yeah, monastic yeah, exactly. quiet. Yeah. So we're going to be eating now, and nobody's going to talk. We're actually... Mom's going to be over here reading from Scripture to us, and please right, take it right, in with, right. your, with your vegetables. <laughs> no, but as but, a... You know, yeah, go ahead, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, just... You know, to the extent that it is possible in your state in life, and, and given the temperaments of your own children, it is possible in some way to form them in such a way that as they grow up, that that's what their reality is, and that the reality of the work week becomes the secondary one, mm. the one that is layered on top of the deeper reality, the one that is the one that is contingent on the deeper reality as far as it is possible based on, you know, the, the, the economic realities around us. So as a dad, I mean, you said you, get, you have four kids who are all young. Like what, what has this, this isn't like a new awareness for you of liturgical time, but this really embrace, embracing this awareness of liturgical time. What can that mean for parents and how you shape your home life? Like what, do you have any sort of, you know, concrete practical ideas for, for us? Because I imagine people are listening and saying, okay, I want to do something. What can I do? Yeah, you know, it's, um, we're, it's certainly a work in progress in our house. Mm-hmm. And I work from home, which had both has its benefits and its challenges. Oh, yeah. One thing that, that I try to do, at least for myself, and that, that I'd like to extend to, uh, to the whole family is I just have, I have an alarm on my phone that goes off with little church bell, you know, church bell alarm that goes off at noon and at 6 p.m. for the Angelus. And so it's like my own little private Angelus bell. And, and at noon, I'm often you know, up in my, my office, and so I'll just do it myself. But more often than not, at 6 o'clock, I'm you know, downstairs helping out with dinner or whatever. And I, by no stretch of the imagination, am I, am I consistent at saying, okay, everything stops, we're going to pray the Angelus. But we've done it enough that the kids know it and that, you know, in that while it's certainly not to the point where they kind of, where they now are looking at the clock and seeing at 6 o'clock, that's what I'd like to get to, where, you know, just, that, that's, I think it's a great starting point, where it's just every six hours, and, and it's also, as kids, kids are, are learning to read analog clocks, those are really easy points to remember by mm-hmm. just looking at an analog clock. And so I think that's a, that's a great starting point, because deeply traditional, but also, you know, not that hard. And, and it's, you know, it, it's traditional while it's, it's never something that's, that's really gone away. We've just forgotten about it. I mean, this is, a, I'm going to share a little bit of a sort of idyllic image, but you can imagine, you know, these 
old towns that built up around monasteries where there was a clock yeah. tower in the middle and these bells would go off to mark the periods of par- prayer throughout the day. And it was for the monks yeah. in the monastery, but that sound also permeated the countryside around so that the right. the rhythm of life of the town around it actually had these signs of the call to yeah. prayer that measure the day. And people, you know, would would actually understand the time of the day according to the bells. So, you know, that got replaced, you know, in the work week with the whistle of the factory and all kinds of other things. And yeah. now, you know, we get all these reminders from all our devices to check the, yeah. this email, to go to this thing. So what I love about what you've said is you're taking the most modern device, your phone that's with you most, yeah. if not all of the time, and repurposing that bell to recover something that we've lost. Right, right. Yeah, my, you know, one of my, one of my kind of, my, something I, that I like to write and talk about a lot is how, like, like we talked about earlier, how the, the church through history, when it, the church that it's most confident was not, was not um, just kind of turning it on itself. It was actively going out and co-opting the, 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 the profane things in the world around it, co-opting pagan feasts, mm. you know, and, and kind of co-opting aspects of the world that were not specifically Catholic, but then making them so. And so while, while you know, we can have a long conversation about what the actual good and the actual, you know, evil of, of aspects of modern technology, there are things that we can still co-opt, that we can say, okay, this thing can be used for profane use, but we can also use it for sacred use. And, you know, Speaking of idyllic, here's an idyllic thought that, <laughs> that someday we could, with that kind of sacred confidence, go out and and truly, you know, co-opt it all instead of it just 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 you know uh, a few a few phones in a few places. <laughs> that sounds right. Well, Brenda, as we as we finish up here, can you let us know where we can find and subscribe to your newsletter, These Seven Days? Absolutely, yeah. So you can just Google those three words, These Seven Days, or you can uh, go directly to the website, which is. Brandon McGee, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-M-C-G dot substack dot com. Substack is the name of the service. Substack. I don't know why they call it that. Yeah. Substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K. And I don't know what it means, but that's what it's called. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Well, Brandon, thanks so much for not not only this time with us today, but for this incredible resource that you've offered to us uh, for our weekly observance. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life today. This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners.